afternoon and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you here at the Germantown campus. Can we welcome our West campus, our online campus, and our Appleton campuses this morning? So we want to say welcome to all of those campuses. I'm sure it's as cold there as it is here, but hey, the sun's shining, right? So that's a good thing. And uh, if you're new to Life Church, we are one church, multiple locations. We believe that uh, the video screen is the uh, stained glass of the 21st century. And so we are meeting here in multiple locations throughout the state. As a matter of fact, if you are in the Appleton area over the next month or so, you're going to see, I don't know if I'm even supposed to say this, so I may be getting in trouble with Jeff and with Ryan, but billboards are going up in Appleton. It's Life Church, uh, the, uh, the dot com uh, is going up all throughout the city and just kind of acquainting the city with Life Church, Appleton campus. So if you're up there and you go, is that? Yes, it's Life Church. And so anyhow, hopefully you'll see that. And, uh, and again, if you have family or friends that live in that area or out in the western suburbs, we encourage you to invite them uh, to a campus near them. Today we're continuing, or we're actually ending our series on balanced. And uh, we've been talking about finances, we've been talking about um, uh, what the Bible says about that, how we deal with that, what we should do. We've tried to be as practical as we can. Today's message is going to stretch you, not because I'm taking a special offering. I'm not. Look at your neighbor and say he's not taking a special offering. I'm not asking for a commitment or a pledge card. I'm not even going there. But I want you to ask yourself a question, and hopefully you'll be able to answer it. And that's this. Am I generous? Am I, not you, me. Is Aaron Cole generous? This is a question of generosity that we should ask ourselves. First and foremost, the gospel is predicated upon it. John 3, 16, for God loved you and I so much that he gave. And without his extravagant, generous gift of his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins, none of us would be here. But it's the very nature and it's the very essence of who God is. It has nothing to do with money It has nothing to do with external, tangible things. It has everything to do with our hearts. And so it's a question of my heart. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me today to John's Gospel, chapter 12. If you don't have a scripture, it's going to be on the screen as we get to it. But you might want to keep your Bible open because I'm going to give you some things today. I'm going to kind of hit several passages of scripture to really bring home this point and this question of, am I generous? Now, we're looking at a particular story, a particular account uh, in John's gospel, it's also recorded in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel. We're going to look at, look at it in Mark's gospel in just a minute. And you have to understand that the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. These are four disciples who are basically giving their account, their firsthand view, in essence, of what happened uh, in the life and the times, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. And so it's the good news that God came to earth to redeem us from our sins and through the person of, of Jesus Christ. So John's gospel records an account about, I think it's probably one of the greatest displays of generosity and the lack thereof in all the gospels. It's, it's at a church fellowship dinner. So that got me right from the very beginning. I, I like to eat, and, and, and I love church potlucks. I, I, contrary to popular opinion, some of you go, why do we not have, it, have a lot at Life Church? Because it would be close to impossible to do that, although we do try to feed you from time to time. I mean, come on, right? And we do that. And so I think is, food is a spiritual gift, and I'm hungry right now, and yet it's but the morning, right? So 
they're at this church fellowship dinner, and it's Jesus, and it's, and it's, it's the disciples, and, and it's the church. And there's an event that takes place that really begs this question of generosity. So re- begin reading with me in John's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead. So two months before, Lazarus was dead, and Jesus had raised him from the dead. This is two months later. Um, there, there they made a, him a supper. Again, that's spiritual. Make your pastor a supper. I'm just saying it's just a thought, right? And Martha served, which was one of Lazarus' sisters. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him, with Jesus. Then Mary, another sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha, took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So this is high-dollar perfume, okay? That's in essence. Verse 4, But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, who would betray Jesus, said, Why is this fragrant oil not sold uh, for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor? It's a great question. We're going to get to that in a second. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Don't you love how the Bible just drops it like it's hot? I mean, there it is. I mean, he's a thief. And he had the money box, so he was a treasurer. And he used to take out of it what was put in it. And Jesus said, let her alone, for she has kept this day for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, I want to kind of walk through this passage, because I think in this passage there are two hearts that are displayed. There's a heart of generosity that we see in Mary, and there's a heart of selfishness that we see in, uh, that we see in um, Judas. And here's the thing. This is an internal conversation. This is, these are Christ followers. These are the disciples. These are religious. These are spiritual people. So if today you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're sitting at the theater at the West Campus or in Appleton or here in Germantown, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. You kind of get the opportunity to kind of peer in, to kind of look over the fence, if you would, and see how Christians conduct themselves. Because this is true in every church and in every circle. You have people that, that have a heart of generosity, and you have people that despise those people and have a heart of selfishness. You have an internal conflict of, is this generous enough or is this too generous? Is, is this too extravagant or, or may, maybe not extravagant enough? You have this tension that happens. Even in the course of the series, this tension happens. Anytime you begin to talk about money, people get funny when you talk about money. I don't care what it is, they just do. The oxygen goes out of the room. The number of guests drop. The number of people attending drop. Everything kind of flatlines in an essence because people don't want to deal with the issue at the root of giving, which is your heart. And how you give and what you do with your giving displays your heart. What displays a heart? Giving. Giving is what displays your heart. And, and this is what we see here, is that you see this gift that's given, you see this generosity that Mary displays, and you see these two hearts, one of generosity and one of selfishness. Why did Mary give such an extravagant gift? Why did it bother Judas so much? I'm so glad you asked those questions. We're going to kind of unpack those. There's a couple of observations I want you to see as we talk about this subject of generosity. And I want you to always ask yourself in the back of your mind in today's message, am I generous? Am I generous? 
Not as the person next to me, not as my spouse, not as my kids, not as the pastor, not as somebody else in the room that I know, but am I generous? Now, there's a couple of observations I want us to hit. The first is, is that the enemy of generosity is selfishness. The enemy of generosity is selfishness. We see this displayed in the person of Judas. And we're all born into this world very selfish people. If you don't believe that, just go to Life Kids right now this morning and go to the toddler room, and they will begin to use a word that we all began to use very, very well at an early age, and it's called mine. Mine. M-I-N-E. It's mine. Will you share? No, it's mine. You ask some of those little money grubbers in, that, in those toddler rooms, <laughs> those little germ magnets for just one of their goldfish, one of their crackers, mine. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's a big deal. I do this with all the pastor kids. Can I just have? And, and some of them are, are very stingy. I'm just going to tell you, you need to pray for some of our pastor kids. Some of them are mine. And, 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 and they're not toddlers. And so we do this. And, and, and it's selfishness. It, it, it promotes self. Selfishness protects self. Selfishness in its very essence provides for self. The problem with selfishness is that it tries to take the place of God. We act selfishly because we don't think we're going to get what's ours. We don't really trust that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We don't really trust that God will not just save us in the, in the thereafter, but in the here and now. It's a selfishness. And this is what happens with Judas. And he asked this question that seems so spiritual. We do this in church all the time. But it's just, at the root of it, is just self-seeking, self-providing, self-protecting, self-preserving attitude of selfishness of the heart. I can't believe that someone, that Mary, Mary, you know better, that you would take this and that you would spend 300 denarii and that you would purchase this oil and waste it. 300 denarii, I'm going to get to this in a minute, basically was a year's salary. That could have been sold and given to the poor. That sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? I mean, I'm telling you, I'm a pastor. I deal with, spirit, I deal with religious people all the time. Well, bless God. Couldn't you take one of those video cameras or one of those video screens? Or how about that big honking? What is that, like a 150-inch television screen there behind you and, and sell that and give it to the poor? How about let's give that to missions? It sounds really spiritual. Do you really have to? Do we really have to give? Does it really have to be? We even make statements like that about, about, you know, about world missions. We've got people dying in our own backyard, and we're taking care of people halfway around the world. We make these statements. You know people that make these statements. Maybe you've been a person that's made these statements. All it is, it's a scam cover-up to protect your own self-seeking, selfish ambition, and selfish heart. Judas doesn't care one bit about poor people. He, the Bible says right there in that passage, was a thief. Jesus knew it. He, he knew what was going to happen. He was taking, in that passage, it says he was taking money out of the offering for himself. So why do you make a statement like that? Because it's a cover-up. Because 
Anytime somebody operates in a spirit of generosity, selfishness will always raise its head and selfishness will ask a question that's said in such a way that will sound spiritual, but at the essence of it is not spiritual. And Jesus addresses it and says, look, the poor you're going to have with you always, but me you won't always have. You can always take care of the poor. There will always be poor people on the earth. Why? Because it's part of the curse of the fall of sin and man. Look at Genesis chapter 3. This world is cursed. Poverty is a curse. And as long as this world is in existence, there will be poverty on the face of the planet. Should we try to give to help people? Yes. Should we be kind to people? Yes. Should we be benevolent to people? Yes. The Bible says in the book of James that pure and undefiled religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans. The Bible says that he who gives to the poor lends to God, which means God is the one that will will repay you. But the reality is, is that we couch sometimes these things and, and, and in such spiritual terms that they're not. And it has nothing to do with, 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 with really taking care of the poor. It has to do with covering up the fact that I have a selfish heart. That's why Judas throws this out there. That's why we will ask and make, and make statements like that and become critical. Because anytime there's generosity in the room, there's going to be someone with a critical, selfish spirit that's going to stand up and go, I can't believe they did that. That's just over the top. That's, just, that's, that's excessive. That's unnecessary. Well, who died and made you God? Jesus is God, so he could address the issue, and he does. And, and the reality is, is that it comes from this selfish cover-up. And before we beat up on Judas, just have to ask ourselves all the question. If the tithe, 10% of our income as Christ followers, truly belongs to God, and if Malachi chapter 3 really is true, and when we don't tithe, we are robbing God, then every time we don't bring the tithe, Are we doing the same thing that Judas was doing? Yes. Silence in the room. Just crickets. Because it's easy for us to to judge Judas. He betrayed Jesus. Who would do that? But before he betrayed him physically, he betrayed him in his heart. That's the issue here. Again, generosity has nothing to do with money. It has to do with my heart. It has to do with this cold, cold heart. Beware of the enemy of generosity, which is selfishness. Second thing I want you to see is the extravagance that generosity can go to. The extravagance of generosity. The Bible says here that it was 300 denarii was the cost of this costly perfume. 300 denarii was basically a year's salary. So Mary goes, and she takes basically a year's income, and she purchases or she has this perfume that costs that much. And she comes, and she basically worships Jesus. She anoints his body, the Bible says, and she breaks it, and she uses it, meaning that it, it's out. She can't, this isn't something that she can keep part of it. It's all in. She's all in. And here's the question. Would a year's salary be an extravagant gift for you or for someone else to give to the church? So whether you make 30000 a year or you make 300000 a year, or you make $3 million a year, it doesn't really matter. It's all relative. Is that extravagant? I think most church people would say, yes, that's over the top. That's unnecessary. How do you know that? Well, because most church people in America, 
there's only 5 to 7% of church people that attend church on a regular basis that actually tithe, that actually give 10% of their income. So this is an extreme, extravagant gift of generosity. Why would you give God that kind of a gift? Does God even expect that kind of a gift? And, 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 and have you thought about it in our time? So what would be an extravagant gift to give God? I mean, what, what, what would it be? I mean, and I remind you, if God owns it all, right? And, and I want to remind you, too, that the Bible says in the book of Revelation that the city, that the world, that the, that the city that God's built has streets made of gold. It has foundations and walls that are of diamonds and rubies and precious stones. It has gates of that city that are of solid pearl. And God didn't do this to show it off. It's just what he has. What would be an extravagant, generous gift to give God? A year's salary, $100,000, a million dollars, half of a billion, maybe a billion dollars. I mean, what, 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 what could we give that would be considered extravagant? How, 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 could we impress God? How much could we give that we, would actually impress God? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to this. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul addresses this question. Paul kind of answers this question. And he's speaking to the church in Corinth about a sister church in the church of Macedonia. And Macedonia, the Macedonian church, had struggled financially. They didn't have a lot, um, but they did something that captured the heart of, of God to the point that the inspiration of the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write about them. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul answers his questions about what could you give that would impress God. Moreover, brethren, we know to you the grace of God bestowed upon the churches in Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, not their money, and their deep poverty, so they didn't have much, abounded in the riches of their liberality, speaking of their giving. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, even beyond their ability, they were free, freely willing and imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. What Paul's saying is, is that they are giving us an offering. And in essence, we don't, they need the offering more than we need the offering. But because of their generosity, because of their liberal spirit, that's not a political statement, that, that's the speaking of, 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 their, of their mindset of generosity, they gave even beyond themselves. Look at verse 5. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. The thing that impresses God, the extravagant, the most extravagant gift that you or I or anybody could give is us. Paul says, look, I'm impressed at their giving. I'm impressed that they're giving out of their need. They need it more than we need it. But the reality is, is what's even so much more greater is the fact that they have extravagantly given themselves freely first to God and then in this offering to us. If you travel in missions, I, I've done this before. I, I've been in emerging third world countries and been asked to preach in a church. And, and it doesn't matter if there's, there's you know, uh, churches I've spoken at have, have been tens of thousands of people to, 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 to 100 people. And at the end of the service, they want to take an offering for you, and you're sitting there on the front row. And you realize that the total income in that room is not a lot of money. You, you realize that these people don't have the things that you and I commonly have. They, they would be considered even below the poverty standards of our own in our world. 
And it's the most awkward feeling in the world for them to give you an offering because you don't, they need it more than you do. So why do they do it? Because they have first given themselves to God. They've given themselves to God in such a way that it comes out of that heart. And it has nothing to do with a dollar amount. It has to do with the spirit of what they do. And that captures the heart of God. That's the extravagant, generous spirit that God looks for. But let me remind you, you may go, I'm so glad you didn't say we had to give $100,000 to God and, and just give it to, I, I can just give me. So, all right, good. I can go have some, some Panda Express a day for lunch and, and, and I, it's going to be all right. Yes. Yeah. Go on with your bad self at Panda Express. The orange chicken is, is, is the bomb in my, in my opinion. But let me say this. Remember that what comes with you are all the resources that God has blessed you and I with. That means it's my wallet. It's my time. It's my talent. It's my treasure. It never has been about an amount, and it never will be about an amount. I brought this up before, but I bring it back to your attention again. Remember Jesus with the disciples, seeing the woman who gave less than basically one penny and in monetary value in the offering. And Jesus said she gave more than anybody in the room because she gave it all. Our amounts don't impress God. If you make a quarter million dollars a year in salary and you're a Christ follower and you're verbal about your faith in following Jesus Christ and you think you're doing God and the church a favor by giving $10,000 a year, because you think that's more than what the average person gives, you're robbing God. And that person who's on a fixed income, who's doing everything they can to honor God with the first fruits of their income, that's greater than the guy who just throws in 10 grand in the offering. Because that person is giving from their first and giving from their need, and the other person is just giving some. This is Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 2, all the way back in the beginning. Pardon me, Genesis chapter 4, all the way back in the beginning. When we give of ourselves, that's the most extravagant thing we can do. Now, there, there are three levels to giving. I don't have time to go into this. But the first is tithe, which means 10% of my income belongs to God, according to Malachi chapter 3, and we've talked about that in week one. The second level is offering, which is out of the 90%, I, I, can, buy, I can buy baseball cards and bubble gum with it. It's whatever I want to do with it. It's mine, truly. And so what I do with that is considered an offering. Tithe is not an offering. Tithe belongs to God. But beyond that 10%, there is an offering. Again, I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you what it says. But then beyond offering is what you would call extravagant giving. And an extravagant gift, like what Mary did in John's gospel that we read about today, an extravagant giving, what happens is that happens once, twice, maybe a few times in your lifetime, max. It's where God asks you to do something that's so over the top, that's so beyond, and you say, yes, God. So I don't act like this is an everyday occurrence. But most Christians never get to the giving level or the extravagant giving level because only 5 to 7% of Christians actually tithe. 
They, only 5 to 7% actually say, here, we're bringing the tithe. And if you can't get to the first level, you'll never get to the second or third level. But here's the good news. If you begin tithing, then what begins to happen is what you see happen in the life of Mary can happen in your life because what happens is the tithe, according to Scripture, redeems your finances. It breaks the curse off of your finances. And God will continue to bless you in such a way that when you begin to tithe, then you'll begin to give offerings, and then you'll be at a place where God can use you in an in incredibly extravagant, generous way. And I'm not saying that he's going to use you to give it to Life Church. It may be that you need to buy a car for a single mom that you see the beater that she pulls up in the parking lot every week. You may be at the West Campus and you see a single mom every week and you look and you go, oh my goodness, I can't believe that car is still running. And you get out of your nice luxury vehicle and you've got three in the, in the driveway and God says, I don't want you to give her the beater, I want you to give her the nice one. It may have nothing to do with the church. It may be with a ministry or a missionary or someone that you know. It may be a particular situation. It could be the local church. But, but the point is, the Bible says that the tithe belongs to the storehouse of the local church. But beyond that, the offerings, it's as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart that you say, yes, God, and that you meet those needs. I want you to see something that happens here, though. When you begin to give extravagantly, I want you to look back at verse 7 of John chapter 12. Look at what the Bible says. This is what's happening with Mary. When they accuse her and they criticize her for her excessive generosity, Jesus says these words, but let her alone for she has kept this for the day of my burial. Interesting statement, isn't it? And they're having dinner. They're, they're, they're max and relaxing at the table. Mary comes in and brings this, this fragrant uh, oil and spice and perfume. And she does this generous thing that everybody in the room knows. And then Judas is the one who begins to criticize her. And Jesus just kind of gives Judas the Heisman and everybody that's thinking in the room the Heisman and says at the end of the day, leave her alone. What she is doing is preparing for my burial. Death? We haven't even talked about death. This is a good time. This is like one of those church potlucks. Everybody's talking. Kids are running around. You're, you're full. I'm going to have another piece of pie. You know what I'm talking about? One of those types of moments. This isn't like a deep, somber moment. This is one of those types of time. And, and, and here's, what hap here's what's happening. If you read the rest of the gospel, if you read the rest of the story, if you remember what happens, Jesus dies on the cross. And his body, they have to get his body off of the cross and into the tomb before the Sabbath. Because according to Jewish law, nothing could happen. No work could take place on the Sabbath. So the disciples and the followers of Jesus were not going to let his dead body hang on that cross for 24 hours and, and just let it hang up there until they could get to him. And so they take this body off of the cross and they put it into the tomb immediately without preparation for burial, which means they had not brought any oil or spice, or perfume, to anoint and properly prepare his body for burial. They put him into the tomb. What happens the day after the Sabbath, the Sunday morning? The ladies, the women's ministry group show up at the tomb, don't they? And what are they carrying? Spikenard, spice, and oil. To do what? To anoint and properly uh, anoint his body for burial. And where is Jesus? He's gone. Do you know who anointed 
the body of Jesus for burial? Mary. Her extravagant generosity is the only one, and what she did, it anointed the body of Jesus for burial. She didn't understand it completely. Nobody in the room understood it completely. But God, Jesus, the Son of God in flesh, understood completely what God the Father was doing because the Holy Spirit had spoken to her heart. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take this expensive perfume, and I want you to worship Jesus with it. I want you to anoint his body with it. She didn't even understand what was going to happen in the day subsequent, and I I want you to prepare it and I want you to do this. And here's what I want you to do. Because when God speaks to you sometimes about doing something that's generous, that's over the top, that's extravagant, you don't even understand all the implications. But he does. That, my friend, I don't care how long you've been sitting in church, that's stinking awesome. That's, that's deeply spiritual right there. Because here's what's happening. God is speaking to her heart to do something that everybody else criticizes, but God has spoken, and she will do something that on that resurrection morning, when all those women's group get back together and they get with the disciples, they'll say, Mary, how did you know? And she'll say, I didn't. I just did what God asked me to do. And I want to end today just looking at the reward of generosity. Because when you operate with a generous spirit, there's a reward to that. Not that that's your intent or not that that's your heart, but there's a reward to that. If you skip over to, to Mark's gospel, chapter 14. Again, this, this story is in Matthew's gospel and John's gospel and in Mark's gospel. And Mark, it's the same story as John chapter 12. It's just from a different perspective. But I want to read it because there's something that's here and then, and then we'll land the plane. Verse 3, and being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And she broke the flask and she poured it on his head. And there were some who were indignant among them, saying, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Again, anytime there's generosity in the room, you'll have your crusty Christians that will criticize it. It just doesn't matter. But Jesus stands up and he rebukes the critics and says, let, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? For she's done a good work for me. For, she, for the poor you'll have with you always. Whenever you wish, you may do good. But me, you do, not all, you do not always have. Look at verse 8. For she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. They have no idea what he's talking about. They don't even understand what's about to happen. She doesn't completely understand. She just knows that she's doing what God's told her to do. But look at verse 9. Assuredly, I say to you that wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman, Mary, has done will also be told as a memorial to her. The fact that what I am doing right now, which is preaching this text, makes that promise in verse 9 true. That what Mary did in the first century, we're still talking about today. And every time this passage is preached, verse 9 becomes true yet again and again and again and again. Why did Mary give such an extravagant gift? I don't know. Maybe it was because her brother Lazarus, two months before this dinner, was dead 
in the grave and in the tomb. And Jesus came and spoke the words, Lazarus, come forth. And he was brought back to life. I don't know. Maybe it was because of the fact that when you lose someone that's close to you, the things of this world and the things of this earth grow strangely dim. And, and money and things don't really have any more importance. And, 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 and when Jesus is the one that does that, Jesus is the one that liberates you from, 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 from death. He's the one that sets you free from death. There's something about that that says, God, I'll give you whatever, whenever, however, here it is. It's yours. We all go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. But I want to remind you, we too have been set free from our sins through Jesus Christ. We too have been set free from the law of sin and death according to the book of Romans because of Jesus Christ. We too are in the company of Mary and the people that were at that room. We are indebted to God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's by him that we're saved and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God lest any of us would become boastful. Generosity always comes out of gratitude. And she didn't expect to be rewarded, but that's exactly what God did. And I want to end with this, this verse. Whenever you operate and you give to God, he will bless you more than you have the ability to bless him. We make this statement sometimes in church that uh, I can't outgive God. Let me show you where that comes from. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screen. It's a great verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, to please God. For he, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That he is, God is, Jesus is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We know this verse. I just said it earlier in the message. But the word rewarder, first of all, the only time this word is found in Scripture is one place. It's right here in Hebrews eleven six. Matter of fact, if you go home today and you get on your computer and you pull up Microsoft Word and you type in the word rewarder, you even type this verse out, it will flag that, ver that word, rewarder, as not being a real word. It's not grammatically correct. Spell check will go off. Ding! Right? I'm just telling you. Because it's only found one time in Scripture. It's not a word that we use. But I want you to understand what it means. What that word means is to hire and pay a wage that is due and then give extravagantly more than what's due. So to hire a person and pay them a wage that's fair market value and then to go so over the top that all the flags would go off that this is excessive. Read the verse again. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he, God, is a rewarder. He gives you what's just and then gives you so much more excessively that it's over the top that all the, all the bells and whistles go off of those who do what? Diligently seek him. That's, notice that it doesn't say he is rewarding, he's a rewarder, which means it's not an action that he does, it's who he is. It's the very character and nature of God. Not that we give to get, but when we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and when we honor God's word and bring in the tithe, when we go above and beyond the tithe and we give offering, when we, those handful of times in our life when God asks us to do something extremely generous that we're going to be criticized for, but we know the voice of God and, and we follow the voice of God and even we don't understand all the complete implications, the Bible says that God in his very nature will not only reward us, but he will go above and beyond to take care of. And that's exactly what happened with Mary. She simply listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit, took the perfume, 
thinking she's just worshiping Jesus. And everybody in the room called it a waste, but Jesus called it worship. And she does what everybody would have stood in line to do, to anoint his body for burial. Because it was through his death that she and everyone in that room would find life. It was through his death that you and I have life today. It all goes back to the heart. It all goes back to the first two people in that room. Judas Mary. Which person are you? Who are you? Am I generous? That's not for anybody else to judge, but for you and God. And you may fool everybody in this room, but you don't fool God. Because it has nothing to do with amounts. It has to do with my heart. It has everything to do with my heart. So why are you talking about this, Aaron? Because I want you to understand something. That we all have a choice. And that choice has nothing to do with dollar amounts. But if I'm going to be balanced in the area of my finances, I have to understand where's my source and who's my source, which is God. If I want to be in right relationship with that, I need to honor God in that way. And I need to make sure that the spirit of greed and of selfishness is always broken in me. And how do you destroy that? By being generous. By being generous. And you're never going to be generous unless you plan or pray and ask God to help you. Because maybe it is that God wants you to give a car to somebody today. Not to the church, but to meet a need. Maybe it is that God wants you to do something that's extremely generous. And I know sometimes we say, well, but you know, the Bible says don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing and we shouldn't make a display of that. You take it out of context. If you want to be a theological scholar, get a degree and get it right. What was happening in the first century is that the religious leaders of the day were finding poor orphan kids on the street and stopping everybody in the middle of the busy day and saying, hello, hello, my name is Aaron Cole and I'm a local Pharisee over here at Temple so-and-so and I want you to know that this child that we've all walked past today is hungry. So I'm gonna give this child not $1 but $2 so they can go across the street to McDonald's to the value mill and get two things and I'm gonna do that because I'm a good person. I want everybody to know that. That's what they were doing. And Jesus says that's what's wrong. It's not the fact that you give and that you give and people see it because everybody saw what Mary did. It's my heart. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's a hard issue. And every time we talk about this subject, there are crusty Christians that get mad. Three weeks ago, I'm preaching at the Germantown campus, and I'm preaching this message. This happens every time. And I see things up here that you guys don't see. It, it, would, be a, it would just be a total trip for you to sit right here sometimes and just get like a big Diet Coke and a bag of popcorn. I'm telling you, it's entertaining. And this gentleman who was infuriated the fact that I'm talking about money in church, Although Jesus talked about it more than prayer, heaven, and hell all combined. He gets up and storms out. I'm watching. I'm preaching the whole time. I'm just blowing. And his wife sits there. 
Five minutes later, she hasn't left. So he comes in and gets her and says, come on, we're leaving. I'm not done with you. Right here. I'm watching the whole thing. I'm telling you, it was somewhat entertaining for me. And I, I just, because he doesn't get it. This has nothing to do with dollar amounts. This has nothing to do with keeping the lights on at the church. Listen, you are an awesome, incredible group of people. You give and you're generous. And I'm not taking up a special offering, but I'm trying to set you free in your own heart because if you don't listen and you don't, not listen to me, but listen to God's word, our hearts become crusty and they become hard. And God wants to do great things in us. He wants us to worship him in such amazing ways, but we restrict him. Why? Because of our own selfishness. And it's the most incredibly awesome feeling in the world for an infinite God to flow through you, a finite creature, to touch another finite creature. It's the purpose and the plan of God. But it never happens unless you live and you operate with generosity to one another. So I want to pray for you today. And I hope you'll battle this out. I hope you'll walk this out. Next week, we're going to a brand new series. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about crazy things that we deal with and kids and what's happening in our world and technology and how do we protect our kids and how do we, how do we live that out? How do we help even our grandkids? What the Bible has to say. But today, examine our own hearts. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. And I just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our lives, that you would help us, oh Lord, to be more like you. That you would help us, Lord, to break our hearts of stone and create in us hearts of flesh. Melt our hearts, oh God. Let not greed or selfishness or self-seeking ambition, Lord, rule and reign in our lives. But let us be people of generosity. Let us be people, Lord, that listen to your word and we respond quickly. Let us be people, Lord, who are givers, not just unto you, but unto our fellow man. Let us be people with a liberal heart. Lord, whether we're like the church in Macedonian, who, Lord, who, who, is, who is struck with, 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 with very extreme, very restricted funds, or Lord, like the church of Laodicea, who is rich and increased with wealth. I pray wherever we fall in the continuum, help us to honor you. It's not about an amount. It's about our heart and to be balanced in this area so that we may have money, but money doesn't have us. I pray, let us be set free to live the blessed life that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.